My name is Davis Smith. I'm the CEO of Cotopaxi and an MBA graduate of the Wharton School. The Latter-day Saint MBA Society was founded by a group of MBA students and alumni who are members of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, with the hope of bringing together a community of business people striving to bless the world. In this podcast, you'll hear interviews with Latter-day Saint thought leaders that we hope will inspire you both in your professional and spiritual life. For more information about the Latter-day Saint MBA Society, visit latterdaysaintmba.com. And now I'll pass it over to Kurt Frankham, who will host this week's interview. Welcome back to another episode of the Latter-day Saint MBA podcast. My name is Kurt Frankham, your host. And today I am with uh, virtually Derek Porter. How are you, Derek? I'm great. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Awesome. Now, uh, just give us uh, uh, some foundation, some background here. When, when you meet people for the first time and they say, what do you do? Uh, how do you answer that? Well, it's a uh, it's a peculiar answer and one that I did not necessarily dream up of saying when I was a kid, you know, in like elementary or junior high or high school. But in its very simplest form, um, I run a company in the beauty industry. We buy and trade raw human hair. We turn that into <laughs> wow. hair extensions and we sell that in, you know, about 165 countries around the globe. Wow. So, I mean, how does, is it simply looking at the spreadsheet and saying, hey, that's a, that's an industry that's, uh, that's worth getting into or, or what led you to the, the beauty industry? Yeah, great, great question. Well, um, so I've served a mission uh, in Nashville, Tennessee, great two years. Mm -hmm. At the end of those two years, I began writing home to my dad and saying, you know, hey, what do you think is next? And in our family growing up, for whatever reason, we just, we never talked about education and college and where we'd go or things like that, but we talked about businesses and entrepreneurship. And that's what my dad had done for the previous about 15 or so years to my life at that point in time. And so he began sharing some business ideas for me. And one that he had was come home uh, from your mission when the time's right. And uh, we've got about 10,000 square feet of extra warehouse space. You can have it, go out and market it. There's this newer thing called third-party logistics where you do all the picking and packing and shipping for other people. And I'll give you the warehouse space and go and, and give it a go. And, uh, and so I did that and uh, came home and started this little business with him and another business partner. And, uh, and that, you know, was a slog for about four years, but it, it grew and built. And, um, one day, uh, the, uh, a, a gentleman came to me and said, Hey, would you be willing to hair warehouse our hair extensions? <laughs> and I thought, what in the world is a hair extension? I've never even heard of a hair extension. This is about 15 <laughs> and a half years ago or so. And one thing led to another. And in the end, I thought, my goodness, that is a better business than what I'm doing. It is early. It's scalable. There's no CapEx required. Uh, it has good margins. And um, he was kind enough to let me come on as a, as a small minority equity partner. And we just hit the ground running and haven't stopped, uh, haven't stopped since. Nice. And so is that branched out to other type of beauty products then? You know, uh, really, we we have over the years, but we've actually divested those businesses away. And we are a pure play hair extension provider today. We have offices in uh, across the United States from New York to L.A., uh, Miami, Salt Lake City. And, uh, and then we've also got one in Toronto. We've got uh, one in England, one in Germany, one in Australia. 
and uh, one more coming here by the end of the summer in uh, in Europe. And so we are we're pure play in this business and um, have about 350 employees today full time and employ indirectly about another 3000 who are working full time on handcrafting uh, all of our finished products. Nice. So, so Mike, the curiosity is just tugging at me here. So where, where do you source uh, human hair? Yeah. So, you know, it comes through a myriad of, um, of avenues, predominantly in the very far reaches of Eastern Europe and in Asia. And so for the bulk of our supply chain, it's really coming from China, Bangladesh and India with some limited seasoning coming in from like uh, places such as Laos, uh, Myanmar, and so forth. And uh, the hair is procured in a number of ways. Uh, one of the most traditional ways is through Indian temples where um, members of, of, of the Buddhist religion will go and donate hair to their God, giving thanks for uh, an event that has happened in their life. And uh, the temples will then collect this hair and auction it off in live auctions about every other month to companies uh, like ours. And these temples um, will then take those monies and redistribute it back into the, their local economies. And they'll help support funding for local area hospitals and for other you know, public service initiatives that are there. In addition to that, there are you know, collectors of hair that have been you know, third generation collectors of families that um, go from village to village to village all over those parts of the world and collect the hair that has either been collected from combs uh, of people and reusing mm -hmm. that, nothing goes to waste, um, or from individuals who will thin their own hair. As the hotter summer months come, they'll thin that hair. And this has been going on for, you know, really since the end of the Qing dynasty, when wow. men began to cut the, 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 uh, the cue from the, the head and um, it symbolizing that there was a new China coming. And this has just, you know, been morphed into traditionally, uh, you know, was being used for feed for horses, for soaking up oils and things like this. But today, into wigs and hair pieces and hair extensions. Wow, interesting. This, uh, this, uh, you know, secret industry. It's not secret, but it's something <laughs> you just don't hear about, right? Uh, right. So, is the technology for sy synthetic hair? It just hasn't reached the same level as real hair. Yeah, you know, it's uh, synthetic is a very small piece of our business, but it just doesn't perform like human hair does. And so yeah. when you want to color it, when you want to curl it, apply heat to it and so forth, uh, it's not yeah. there. There are some really, really smart people that are now learning how to grow human hair um, in a synthetic like environment and also making hair extensions from like banana trees and things like this that have some similar you know, structural basis to what um, the cuticle of human hair might look and feel and operate like. But thus far, uh, synthetic hair has it certainly has its purposes. Um, but the longevity and the quality um, and the transformation that comes from that uh, is very, very different. Awesome. Well, I learned something today. So that's awesome. <laughs> Good. Uh, so tell me about MBA school. When, uh, how did that, when, when did that come across uh, your, your journey and uh, what landed you at Ohio State University? Yeah. Um, well, you know, achieving an MBA is something that I truly never thought about, period, um, up until I was at the very end of my bachelor's degree. Um, as I mentioned earlier, it's just something that wasn't talked a lot about in my household and, and not for good or bad. It's just the focus was in different areas. And 
um, you know, again, my father had, had started a, uh, you know, a successful business and as an entrepreneur. And so that's, that's where our focus was. Well, when I, uh, when I got home for my mission, um, I had actually, I remember, you know, Googling, it wasn't really called Google back then, but, uh, I remember searching on like AOL or Yahoo or something, trying to find business people that were successful that had never gone to school. And I found some and they became like what I was focused on trying to be like, because I said, Hey, it's proven that people can do it without school. Then I got so, married. Did, I got to ask, did you just not want to yeah. go to school or, or what, what was the, uh, the draw to those type of individuals? I had certain mentors in my life that were telling me you need to go to school and it's uh -huh. going to help you a lot. But I, I mean, I actually became, I believe the first Porter in my family to ever get a bachelor's degree. Wow. Um, let alone go on and do a master's degree. And so because there wasn't that pedigree of learning there previously, um, it just wasn't important. And I thought it takes a lot of time. It never crossed my mind to not work and just go to school full time. So I was trying to juggle both. And quite frankly, I wasn't a very good student in high school. And it may have been more a matter of application than anything else, but it was just never on the forefront of my mind. And I had little businesses when I was in school. And um, in fact, my senior year of high school, I think I went to one or two classes was all because I had work release for the, for the rest. And that was just the focus. So it was really, a, yeah, a desirability factor that just wasn't very high for me uh, there at that point in time. So as you, you know, fast forward through that and dabbling a little bit with school and education, um, met my wife, fell in love, got married. Like two weeks into our marriage, I learned uh, this was not disclosed pre-marriage, if you will. But I learned <laughs> that if you're going to marry into this family, you're going to go to school and you're going to get, you know, at least a bachelor's degree. And that was super, super important to my wife. And so she literally signed me up for my classes. Um, she ensured that I turned in my homework. I remember this is a true story and it's a, it's a really bad one. Um, but I remember one day I got all of my like final done for a certain class, but I was busy trying to run and build this, uh, this public warehousing business. So I just, I didn't turn it in and it was like going to make or break my grade. Well, we had one kid, she had a broken foot. It was January and it was snowing and she was pregnant. Your, your wife had the broken up. foot? Yeah, yeah. She okay. had the broken foot and she drove up to Weber State, hobbled across campus and turned in my uh, my final to the professor because you, you couldn't really do it online back then. And uh, the professor just looked at her, you know, and just thought, what kind of a, you know, idiot husband must you have that you have to drive <laughs> all the way here and do this, hauling this baby in a car seat, pregnant, broken foot, January snowing to turn this in. But it mattered to her. And it wasn't that she was enabling me, but she was trying to meet me where I was. And mm. she was trying to take all the best that I had. And she knew it was only about two degrees of goodness out of 10. And she was trying to help me compensate for the rest. And so she, she really helped me get through that. And a long way of answering of getting to your original question of saying, when did I begin to think about this was, I think it ended up taking me seven years to get my bachelor's degree. And, um, most people would have become like a doctor or something really, really, you know, a true professional by then. And I wasn't, um, but it took me about seven years. And at the end of that seven years, when I had about a semester left, uh, one day, I don't actually remember where I was, but I remember the thought coming to my mind, you need to go get an MBA. And I thought, man, I don't know if I can do that from a time perspective. And I don't know if I can afford it either. 
but that led me to beginning to look and evaluate executive MBA programs that I could try to do and fly to, to campus and spend time on campus while trying to build and grow my business. And so I went into a, a, a deep search, found about 50 universities that would offer that, narrowed it down to a handful, finally narrowed it down to Michigan and Ohio State and interviewed at both, uh, was accepted into the professional MBA program at Michigan and the executive MBA program at Ohio State, ultimately chose Ohio State because of their focus on strategy. And, uh, you know, the rest is history. They let me in, uh, thankfully, and um, it was a great, just fantastic 18 months wow. during that time. And, and, and two schools that are big rivals. I mean, that changed your uh, football fandom for the rest of your life. Yes. Right? <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Um, interviewing at both at back to back on the same weekend actually oh, wow. was really, really interesting um, watching even just how they perceive each other. And I think when they heard I was interviewing that that was my final two schools, um, you know, it, it, it caused some other internal rivalry to uh, to occur there, but ultimately <laughs> ended up, like I say, choosing Ohio State. And it was just a fantastic experience. Yeah. And how would you sum up that experience? I mean, uh, you know, especially somebody who you sort of identified as not a very good student in high school. And here you are in graduate school now. And uh, was it did you feel like you had to uh, work harder than other students or did it finally click in and come naturally? Well, I think always. It really what it boiled down to is it was more a matter of application than anything else. But yes, I think I probably did have to work harder. I've never felt felt that I've been the, the sharpest tool in the shed, but there has been ingrained within me for whatever reason, a deep amount of grit and stick to itiveness. Hmm. And so, we, you know, in this particular EMBA program, you spend as much time on campus as the full-time MBAs did but you just, you squoze it into a week, a month of like 12 hour days peppered with one or two or three rather sessions of like two weeks at a time of really intense work. And then the rest was all done, you know, remotely. And so I would go to work every day and build and run the business. And about six, 630 at night, I would turn off work mode and I would then focus on, you know, everything with Ohio State. And you were put into these these teams, these groups, and it was all work-based. And I would, Monday through Thursdays, I'd be at the office from about 6.30 to 11, 11.30. Uh, Fridays I took off, and then Saturdays were usually half days. And that was all devoted to trying to succeed uh, here. And, you know, I had, I had received some impressions at that time when I felt to go to graduate school that if you will improve this and this in your life, I will help you get through. And I will make sure that you not only get through, but that you, that you excel. And, uh, you know, I think, uh, I didn't really watch the, the GPAs or anything like that. It didn't matter to me, but came in, you know, probably just under a 4.0 maybe, which for me was a big, big deal while running that business. And I really just believe it was because there was a, there was a two-way covenant that was made there not brought on by me, but that I sought to live up to, to the very best of my ability. And, um, and, you know, God did his part in helping me to, to get through that and, and wow. learn a lot and have it, have a lasting change on my life too. Yeah. Fantastic. And, and so I assume was that a two year program? Yeah. Yeah. Back then it was actually only 18 months because you didn't take a summer off. And so gotcha. you, you worked right through the summers too. Now I think it's a two year program. And, and you were running your original business just the same, right? Just remotely yeah. from Ohio or? Yeah. Yeah. Well, no, I, I commuted to Ohio from oh, you here. Oh, did? Okay. Gotcha. On top of everything else. Those two years-ish that it took, 
um, I was on the road about 150 nights a year wow. um, between trying to build the business and grow it and then being at school. And so those were, you know, five-ish months a, y- a year gone from the family focused on trying to, you know, get through that while building the business. And I think our company at the time, we were doing 5 million bucks a year or something. And so when you're in those early, early stages of trying to build and grow, I mean, it's all consuming. That's all that you think about. So those were, those were busy, tough, tough years. So uh, a lot of uh, homework on plane rides and things like that? Absolutely. It was not a bad study hall. No, it was great study hall because nobody can reach you, and it was fantastic. <laughs> and so, yeah, that, and then, like I said earlier, that six thirty to about eleven thirty at night time frame was just kind of, you know, almost sacred time in a way where it was, you know, connecting with school and trying to, you know, the purpose of that was to help me be a better leader and help me learn and know how to grow a business because yeah. I had never really held a real job in my life aside from some high school type work. And so I didn't, I didn't know how to do it. I was learning on the fly. Yeah. And, and that's still maybe a, a different approach. I wouldn't say it's completely uncommon of, of commuting to a, you know, a really respected MBA school. Uh, any, I mean, I, I assume you do it again uh, that way, but uh, any recommendations or if somebody wants to go that route, uh, any, any advice you'd give them? Yeah. I mean, I would definitely do it again and I wouldn't trade that experience for anything. Um, maybe advice that comes to mind is, have perfect alignment with your spouse when it comes to something like this. And so my wife, her name is Beck. Beck and I sat down and we said, what are we hoping to achieve from this? What is it going to cost us both in terms of financial resources and even, you know, human capital resources between us and maybe, you know, dad not being around. I had three kids by this time uh, when I was at Ohio state. And, um, and so what does that look like? And we kind of predefined what that success would be crafted a game plan, and stuck to it. And, uh, and so we set up what that would be. And then, you know, again, turn to turn to heaven for saying, Hey, here's where we're going to be falling short. And, uh, that was on the financial side. And then with trying to be home for church on Sundays, cause the program would get over late Saturday night and it was tough to get back from Columbus to Salt Lake in time in the morning. But, you know, God prevailed in those ways and it became just a, a fantastic environment for us. And so I think, you know, finding that alignment, um, is there. And then secondly is looking for programs. For me, it was less about the name of the school and more about the learning and the classes, the institution, the professors that were Mm. there that would be giving me the experiences that I needed to go out and run a business. And ultimately that's why I chose Ohio state at the time. They had one of the leading professors there on strategy. Who's now actually here at the university of Utah, who, um, was super, super, super influential to me as I thought about strategy and how to organize my thoughts and behaviors to go out and try to build at the time was what, what was a fad eventually turned into a trend, but knowing I was trying to get hair extensions into a full blown category in professional beauty. And so Mm -hmm. looking for experiences more so than just the name on the degree. Uh, great advice. Awesome. Uh, well, and Oh, the other thing I was going to mention, it sounds like it was a, I mean, it was, it was a, a team effort between you, your wife and your family. I mean, this wasn't that, I guess you're going to have to go away and we'll figure this out on the fly. Like you got together and figured out how's this going to work in our family so we can succeed and get through this MBA program. hundred percent. Yeah, fully. And and it stills that way today, even with, you know, the business that we're running today, that's now a worldwide organization. Um, My wife is aware of everything happening and going on there because we talk and we discuss and it allows for us again, 
to, uh, to be on the same page. And um, it was some advice that I got actually from Elder Lynn G. Robbins of the 70, who back then was my bishop. And when I was young, he was my bishop. And uh, he had started a business, uh, Franklin Day Planner, that, you know, everyone in the generation ahead of us used. Right. A lot of people today know about this, you know, but it obviously technology's changed that world. But when I was first married, he he basically told me and taught me about aligning with my spouse, coming up with a game plan, predefining that success and then sticking to it together. And so absolutely that journey has been, you know, I feel equally yoked along the way, if not oftentimes led by her with what she's foresaw maybe my potential to be where I didn't see those, those areas or avenues previously. And as we do on these uh, uh, interviews, we, I had you prepare a handful of principles that maybe if you were standing in front of a, a group of MBA students or alumni, maybe some, some sage advice that you would, you'd uh, share with them. And the first one, actually, this first principle comes from a, a quote uh, from President Eyring. Do you want to share that and expound? Yeah, I'd love to. Um, this is a quote that I ran across several years ago. I was asked to go speak out at BYU Hawaii um, for uh, something in their entrepreneurship program and, and some, some finalists and things that they had brought together from a, uh, a competition out there. And as I was thinking about rem- my remarks there, I thought, what has my experience been? And then I ran across this quote and I thought that perfectly defines what my experience with education has been. And it's this education is what happens inside you not around you. And as I thought about that, I thought, you know, that is so true because we know doctrinally that we are not agents to be acted upon, but that we have agency given to us and we use that to act. And that one of the very basic tenets of God and his plan and program for all of us is to not necessarily just have us do what is right, but to have us to choose to do what is right and giving us extending that faith, if you will, to us to make choice. And it applies directly to education that if we will allow education to stir us on the inside, if we will allow education to help make changes on the inside of us, that will have a lasting effect, not only for us, but also generations to come. But if instead we're just focusing on what's around us, being entertained, going back to just the name of the school or the elitism of where I attend or what have you, that that is just you know, a, a bandaid effect, if you will. And I really appreciated what, you know, President Irene is saying is that education really at the end of the day, it's what's happening inside of you. And I have found that to be true in formal education. And now in these years since where, you know, I'm trying to educate myself on really a daily basis through reading, discussing, talking, and just having eyes wide open. Let's let it make changes inside of us. So I really, really appreciated that comment by him. Yeah. And, and so how do you keep that education going uh, when you're not in school? Obviously, in your day to day, how do you how do you make sure that education conditions have changed you inside? Well, you know, it takes commitment and it takes dedication. And like anything in life, it takes, you know, setting up a structure to be able to achieve that. And so for me, uh, I try to read The Wall Street Journal every single morning uh, so that I'm just aware of world events and what's happening there. For the rest of the week, um, I don't pay attention to local news so much like KSL or anything like that because I just try to um, focus on that one. It's about 30 minutes every morning and then drowning out the rest. On Fridays, I actually dive a little bit deeper where I try to spend a little bit more time in that regard. Um, But the biggest way of ongoing, continuing, I might call it education for me, is really of what's happening with my peers and learning from others. There's amazing podcasts to, to be listening to. 
Um, you've had guests on this podcast already that have shared tremendous things that I've learned from and that I've applied in my business. Hmm. Something else that I did just as an example about six or seven years ago, I went out and sought and was able to get meetings with some of the very best CEOs and entrepreneurs that I could find that would let me into their you know circle, if you will, to talk with me. Uh, and I went and sat down with this group of CEOs, Jeremy Andrus being one of them that you interviewed earlier on this podcast. And I said, hey, share with me how you have become successful. What does that look like? What does the cadence of your meetings look like? How do you structure your day? How do you handle your the work-life balance and so forth? And I, I brought together you know, all of the learnings from these interviews and boiled them down to what worked for me in my situation and have since tried to apply that as a game plan. And, uh, and that, that's been helpful. And I've sought to do that over and over through kind of some probably three mentors in my life that have been with me for a decade plus who have done things that I want to try and do and having them and talking with them usually on a quarterly basis has gone a long ways. And something that I have found is that people um, are eager to share and to help. But if you're going to seek advice from mentors or learning from others, you'd better act on what they're suggesting that you do and report back and say, hey, I tried that and it went a long ways. Thank you so much. Don't just take the advice and write nothing down and be on your way. Um, and so I've sought to try to apply what some of these mentors have taught me in my life. And it's been just, it's made for, for really foundational and formative learning for me on a regular basis. Yeah, I love that. Uh, next principle you, you put down is what I do is important, but how I do it is even more important. Yeah, this is something we talk a lot about here in my organization. Uh, I talk about it in you know my church calling and I talk about it with my kids. A lot of times the world tries to define us by what we do. And we say, I am an entrepreneur, I am a doctor, I am an attorney. And while that is true at its very base level, um, I think what really allows for excellence and full progression in life is less of a focus on what we're doing, but more of a focus on how we're doing it. And take anybody in life, Clayton Christensen, he was a professor of business at HBS but how he went about that is what led to his amazing and incredible run and ride. Hmm. Look at, you know, any great NBA all-star. What they did was they were a player in the NBA, but how they practiced, how they thought about the game, how they sought to become the very, very best at their craft is what set them apart. So what gets us there? but how really allows for us to achieve and go to that next level. We apply it and talk about it a lot from trying to deliver customer experience. I work in customer service, but how I deliver that really sets me apart and allows for the, the intangible value chain to be formed and filled out here. Yeah. And so that's just been something for me that's, uh, you know, that's been, that I try to remind myself of often. Yeah. So it led us into maybe a deeper level with uh, the application of that, like on a Thursday at three o'clock in the afternoon. Like, what, how do you keep that in check so that uh, rather than maybe just a, a quote on the on the wall, but, you know, yeah. when does it come to the surface where you really engage with how you're doing something? Well, you know, for me, a lot of times it arises when I am in a people situation where I need to make a decision. How am I going to treat this person? Um, or it's 5.30 and I'm trying to get out of the office and I get stopped three times on the way out. 
what I do is important. I'm the CEO, but how I do it is even more important. Taking that time, slowing down, validating the worth of people and focusing on them and recognizing of their unique and important contribution to the business. And so for me, oftentimes, again, it comes around people when I say what I do is important, but how I do it is even more. At the end of the day, the things that are the really the most valuable and worthwhile in life are people. It's the people we work with. It's the people we love. It's the people that we respect and that we, you know, that we appreciate in our lives. And oftentimes I think what goes wrong is, is as our own perceived level of importance increases, we begin to decrease the amount of respect that we give to others. Oftentimes I have people tell me, oh, you're so busy. Thanks for this time. It's true, but my time is no more of no more value than anyone else's is. The world might tell me that it is, but it's really not. We all have the same 24 hours in a day. And so recognizing that and working to make sure that I stay humble and that I recognize the great role of people in our lives goes a long, long ways. Perfect. Uh, next principle, the true definition of success, qualifying for the near constant companionship of the Holy Ghost. All right. This is this is a good one. Yeah. Well, you know, this is, you know, as I've thought about this over the years through various, you know, speaking opportunities and, you know, meeting with others, I've often been asked, like, what does success look like? And the world would put bookends on success and it is usually financially related. Today, um, it has actually more to do with uh, perhaps even your social following, the amount of press that you're getting, how you're being talked about, engagement rates, etc. And all of that can make us feel good, but all that it really is is looking at ourselves through other people's eyes, by the way, which I, I you know, it's not how God looks at us. And so as I've thought about just to Derek, to Derek Porter, what does success look like? Over the years, my answer to that has become that if I can qualify for the near constant companionship of the Holy Ghost, I am successful. Because if I can achieve that in my life, then I think that I can make the right decisions under pressure. I think that I can treat people the way that they need to be treated. I think that I can make that business deal happen and get it over the finish line. I think that I can be directed and guided in how to respond to the you know near overwhelming amount of problems that cross my desk on a daily basis. But I've also learned through experience that when I'm not in that mode and I'm not living the way that I need to be, that if I'm not qualified for that constant companionship of the Holy Ghost, I'm left to myself, I'm left to my own device. Now that can work and there's plenty of incredibly successful people who may not necessarily qualify for that and they're still really successful. But the Book of Mormon you know, teaches us that uh, you know, as we seek to keep the commandments, we'll prosper in the land. But the opposite of that isn't, isn't necessarily, it says it once or twice, it isn't necessarily that you won't prosper in the land but it's that you'll be cut off from the presence of the Lord. Hmm. And just for me, in my situation, I have felt that if I can qualify to have that presence with me, I will be a better human being and I will make better decisions. And if I can do that, I will be successful. So that's my, okay. uh, that's my definition. And is it mainly just through routines or processes? I mean, how do you go about, is there a system behind this or is it mainly just keeping that on the surface and uh, keeping that in the focus of what, what you're doing? Well, yeah, there is a routine. And, and I'd, I'd say there's two things there that, that really have helped me with that. Number one is focus. And um, one of the problems with being an entrepreneur 
is, is that you have so many ideas and thoughts that are constantly coming yeah. and you see so much opportunity out there. And so being able to focus and specialize is a real challenge a lot of times. And it's the same in life. There's so many distractions. Elder Bednar just recently talked in general conference about the principle of non-distraction. There's so many distractions that are out there in the world. And we think about keeping an eye single to the glory of God. Well, today, there's so much in our peripheral vision that we can dart and move our eyes towards that as you seek to focus, you have, I think, greater likelihood of understanding where you're going, what you're trying to, and what you're trying to achieve and receive in life. For me, those three areas, and they're actually hanging on my wall behind me here, written in, in Chinese words to just serve as a reminder to me. But the number one is family focus for me in my life. The number two is my church service, God, faith, labor. And then number three is my work. And if something is in life and it doesn't fit into those three buckets, it has to get pushed to the side with six kids, with running a business and, you know, with, with commitment to other things in the, the world of, of our church service, it's a busy life. So number one, focus. And then number two for me is uh, the ability to take time each day at the start of the day to be in tune with how I'm doing, where I'm at, and where I need to be going. And as I do that, there's time for meditation and prayer. There's time for reading and learning. And then there's time for application. And I typically try to do that for 30 to 60 minutes every single morning. Days I do that, it's a better day days that I don't do that, it's, uh, it's a little bit harder. Yeah. You know, I, I love this concept of, of, uh, focus and, uh, a, f a year or so ago I was out to, I was actually, I think it was down at Zion national park and on a hike. And I was sort of wrestling with this idea of, I just had so much coming at me, you know, so many demands and, uh, requests and Mike, I was overwhelmed. And I came at the end of the hike, there was this sign that said, do not feed squirrels. And I had a, you know, image of a squirrel that's, uh, you know, X'd out or crossed out. And I took a picture of it and it's been the background of my, in my phone, you know, wallpaper ever since then. Cause we do that, right? Like in life, there's all these squirrels demanding for our attention. And sometimes we get caught feeding them and they keep coming back, you know? Yes. So the more we can, uh, you know, have this routine and I love how you, you, you've structured that. And uh, that, that really helps you keep focus on those important things because you don't rarely do you think, oh, you know, I've got nothing to do. Maybe I'll pull out my scriptures or, wow, maybe I'll go <laughs> play with my kids. Right. It's a very an intentional process of, of doing that. Right. Yeah. I love that experience. That is so true. Don't don't feed the squirrels. I knew I need to apply that more in my life. <laughs> uh, the, the next principle you put down is if not you, then who? Yeah, this is something that I remember my dad, you know, telling me many, many years ago. And I don't uh, actually remember the context around it other than I was saying, can I really do this? Can I really build this and grow this and and turn this into something? And it, it was business related. And uh, and I just remember him stopping and looking at me and saying, well, if not you, then who? And I've thought about that a lot over the years about glass ceilings and self-fulfilling prophecies that we sometimes place on ourselves. And I have learned that, you know, the human potential is oftentimes so much greater than we give ourselves or even others credit for. And the ability to really go out and swing big and do big things is there inside all of us. And we have that opportunity. But it, in order to achieve it, it requires a level of confidence with saying, I know that I can do that. And I believe in my mission and my purpose and what I'm doing. 
And by the way, I'm going to give it enough time to make sure that I can succeed with it as well and not, you know, quit in the early innings innings. And so for me, if not you, then who is something I have thought of a lot of times over the years as we've opened up a new country, as we've made an acquisition, as we've brought on new lenders and private equity partners along the way of just saying, hey, I've got this, I can do this and trying never to let that be from a cocky way. But in my life, often I felt I've had to pull myself up and say, have more confidence, Derek, in what you're doing. Remember where you've been and where you're going and who you've got on your team you can make this happen. So it's just been really, really a, a sweet treasure of mine that I've been able to keep from something my dad shared many, yeah. many years ago. Yeah. And again, you know, underscoring your, your uh, encouragement of, of having mentors that sometimes it's, it's natural for us to sort of shrink in these opportunities, but good mentors maybe encourage us and help us grow and, and flourish in, in these opportunities that if, if not you, then, then who, right? So make it you and swing, swing for the fences, right? Absolutely. We all, there's so many voices in the world Every, everybody should have their own like personal board of directors around them. Hmm. Hopefully that can be a spouse, a parent, a child, a neighbor, um, a friend. But you've got to get your own personal board of directors around you so that you can go out and gut check things a few times, you know, um, at, you know w- with individuals and say, am I thinking about this the right way? Am I going down the right path? And people that will give you honest and candid feedback pull you up when you need it help bring you down maybe when you need that as well. Hmm. And talk to us about that, bringing you down. Like, what, what do you mean by that? Or what's an experience where, where that happened? Oh, it happens every every week. <laughs> um, my wife is the best at this. And I mean this with all respect. She never puts me down, ever. She is my biggest champion. But I will come home and say, oh my gosh, we just closed this deal. And, you know, the TTM of our business is now X amount of hundreds of millions of dollars. And she will just say, that is awesome, Derek could you go and change the diaper? And then could you take the other kid around the block and do this? And the conversation kind of ends there. Uh-huh. And it helps to, to, to refocus again, those priorities. And, but at the same time, when I feel that the, the, the ground is falling out from underneath me, she's been there saying, Hey, you can make this happen. And she, she just has a really artful way of, of bringing me down when I need it and not letting me and bringing me up when I need it as well. Yeah. That's great. Uh, the final principle you put down is uh, human orbits matter. Regularly praying that I might meet the people that I need to meet. Tell us about that. Yeah, well, there's a great conference talk from uh, Elder Neil A. Maxwell, and uh, who just obviously has such a brilliant, brilliant mind and way of seeing the world. And um, I remember in one of these talks where he just he talked about human orbits, and he talked about how each of us are in this orbit predestined and designed to meet others in our lifetime that we can have an effect on or that will have an effect upon us. And um, if there's anything that I've done in my career, which is, you know, spanning nearly 20 years now, it's been a constant and regular prayer to God saying, help me to meet the people that I need to meet in my life. And I believe that that happened with Logan Woolley, who was the original, you know, creator and thought leader of the business that I'm running today. I believe that it's, you know, happened all the way up through all of the different partnerships that I've had. And I have seen um, direct answers to those prayers. And when we're wanting to be involved in things that are bigger than us, um, it takes people and it takes relationships. And so as I have continually thought in my life, help me meet the people that I need to meet, help me look ahead of time and see those orbits as they're coming so that I can be prepared to receive and to act upon that, 
it has made a really, really massive difference uh, in my life. And that is, has, you know, spawned and brought about beautiful relationships, not dozens or tons of them because life is so busy, but a, a very select few that have had a masterful impact upon me. And I think hopefully help me fulfill my better potential by degrees and orders of magnitude than I ever could have done on my own. So again, people matter. And as we're seeking to do things that are bigger than us, it takes people. So let's pray to try and find those right people. And I believe that God delivers and will direct. Yeah. Wow. That's so, that's so helpful because oftentimes, you know, when we think about, you know, business and MBA school, you know, we think about degrees and accomplishments there that maybe lead us towards success. But a lot of these things are secondary to just the fact that these opportunities put you in a place in certain orbits of individuals that really lead to this, that success. It's these connections, these networks, and, uh, that, that really feed into a lot of these successful stories of individuals, right? Absolutely. I cannot tell you how many times I've sat on an airplane, uh, been, been in an airport somewhere, somewhere out with people. And there's been a very fortuitous, um, you know, experience that's been created with someone. Um, and I could tell you several stories of where that has occurred and where it has had, you know, lasting impacts. And there was by no chance that we could have been together at the same time and had those connections that were made, except for them being introduced by a higher being. And that happens to all of us every day. But I think, you know, Sister Nelson, uh, President Nelson's spouse has talked often about how if you'll pray with specificity, you will be blessed specifically. Hmm. If you pray generally, you'll generally be blessed. And I think that that is a that, that is a true principle when we're looking for direction in our lives. Get specific, get into the details. God is in the details of the details of the details of our lives. Give him that opportunity to bless us. Many blessings come from heaven simply because we're children of God. The Lord maketh his sun to shine and rise upon all the inhabitants of the earth. But many other blessings come as we ask for them and they are then delivered, waiting to be brought down upon our heads. Love that. Um, all right, let me, let me ask you about just, uh, I want some life hacks here from, from Derek as far as structures, apps you use, routines that help feed into your success. Anything that maybe you haven't mentioned in, in some of these other principles we've, we've talked about, any any uh, go-to, they can be silly or, or really just technical if you want. Yeah, well, yeah, I don't know if they're life hacks or not, but I'll tell you they've, they've, <laughs> they've, they've, they've helped me, I guess, in my way. Uh, I have learned the value more recently of getting a good night's rest. And I don't know if it's that I'm getting old and I got some gray hairs coming in now, <laughs> But I have seen that as I consistently do that over time, because I was I was historically five and a half to six hours a night, you know, almost seven days a week. And but as I have have purposely made a desire and acted on that to get more rest and good quality rest, too, I think that I've been able to perform at a higher level. Closely tied to that is eating in the right ways and then exercise, too. So I try to do a half hour on my Peloton bike every morning. And uh, that's mixed with some really light, you know, weightlifting as well. And uh, if we were in person, you would see that you'd say, have you really been working out in the gym? I don't see where those muscles are coming from, but it makes a difference inside of me just with working, you know, some of that out. I'd say that that's one. Um, secondly, is I really believe in the power of technology and what it can and can't do for us. So on my phone, it's not cluttered with tons and tons of apps, but there's a few things that I use, you know, very, very uh, regularly. Um, to, you know, help me and aid me in my, in my endeavors. 
Um, there's some there's some great um, communication platforms that are out there, such as Slack, that a lot of enterprises are using. But I have rules about notifications and things like that, where my phone just doesn't buzz with notifications. And instead of waiting for me, I have an email system boomerang where I can pause my email at times during the day or in the evening so that I can focus and those things just aren't coming through. With a worldwide business, one of the hardest things is there's people working in our offices six days a week, 24 hours a day. Wow. So at any point in time, I'm getting emails and messages. So pausing that and taking time out for that, which is usually around those dinner time and evening hours so that I can be there and focus on the family. Um, and be present, which has been a goal of mine in 2020 and 2021, um, has really, really helped uh, as well. And then finally, there's some really cool, you know, on the iPhone uh, operating system, there's some really cool um, uh, apps that you can self-create and build to help you. One of those that I've just done is it says going home. I can click on going home when I'm ready. It will text my wife, take my destination, tell her the time that it'll be there. She can track it along the way. Um, It does certain things if you want it to, where you can program it in just through automation of temperatures and music for your drive or turning on a podcast, all of that. And it just happens. And so leveraging that um, is something that can be really, really good as well. But keeping it simple. I think simplicity is one of the, the, the jewels of life that has been lost in the last decade as technology has risen. And so you really have to be deliberate about what you're going to let in into your own world. Yeah. Uh, what about books? Uh, if you're in, in a room full of MBA students or uh, professionals, what uh, any go-to books that you absolutely recommend? You know, so I got some old classics that I love. And then, you know, probably my favorite all-time book, because I identify with it so much, is called Shoe Dog, uh, hmm. story of Phil Knight starting yeah. Nike. And man, I feel like I was him. There's, a, there's many, many digits difference worth of our net worths, obviously. <laughs> But in the early days, he's there in Japan trying to build and run a grow a business. And there's problem after problem after problem. And he never thinks he can get through it, but he does. And that was me in China. Um, I think I've been there more than 40 times in the last decade or so. And trying to build out a supply chain, one as complicated as human hair. And I just, that, that inspired me and built me up. I loved it. Same with Barefoot Billionaire, story of John Huntsman Sr., and what he was doing and building um, with so many setbacks. I love both of those. And then there's some all-time classics, Og Mandino um, and, you know, like The Richest Man in Babylon, yeah, uh, The Greatest Salesman in the World. These were books that my dad introduced me to when I was like in elementary school that just fueled and built about a desire in me to try to go out and, um, and do things again that were bigger than just me. Yeah. And again, you, you mentioned the importance of, of mentorship. And I found in my own journey is a lot of times you also need mentorship from individuals you don't know through biographies or the stories of, of their journey or struggle. And, and just reading these things really, it is motivational to hear this, the struggle like, oh, I'm not, I'm not the only one that went through this or sound, sounds like Phil and I actually had problems too. You know, he didn't just put a swoosh on the side of a shoe and, and made billions of dollars. Right. Um, right. So I, there's such great mentorship that you get from from these books, right? Yeah, and we've never before had the kind of access that we do to this stuff like we do today. And especially in the podcast world, right? You can get real-time, relevant topics and hear and learn and see how people are experiencing things. There's a great one that I've been listening to lately with Bruce Springsteen and Barack Obama, of all people, talking about fatherhood. 
And uh, like, like it has taught me a ton and listening to these two really, you know, great leaders, um, which I never, I never would have thought would get together and talk about this on relevant topics. You don't have to wait two years to hear about someone's experience with a book. And while, I mean, books are obviously super, super valuable still, but you can complement that together because of what technology's brought about for us, for these kind of mentors that, like you said, we'll never be able to meet most likely in person still have up front rows, you know, of being able to watch and see and observe. Yeah. Yeah. Awesome. Um, all right. I got uh, one more or two more questions for you. And one of them are really important. I'll ask you it now. So, uh, BYU plays Ohio state in football. Who do you root for? You got to go Ohio state. Oh, and, come on. You know, so I know I, well, the rest <laughs> of my neighborhood will be mad at me. We're split with about 50, 50 between Utah and BYU. Uh, but look, I'm, I'm up for a good game and, uh, and, uh, I probably, would be okay if BYU pulled it off, but I'll, I'll wear my OSU shirt that day for sure. <laughs> awesome. Awesome. Uh, and if they play Weber state, I don't know your undergrad. Uh, yeah, school, uh, uh, definitely Ohio state at that point in time. Right. So, although that would be epic if, if, you know, the wildcats could knock off the Buckeyes for sure. <laughs> awesome. Awesome. Well, uh, Derek, this has been fantastic. I've learned so much. I know, uh, you know, speaking of mentorship, I know that you've, you've been mentored many people listening, uh, just through this episode. And I know they, they probably appreciate it as well. Uh, last question I have for you is if you were in a room full of MBA students or alumni professionals and what encouragement would you give them as they're on that journey and maybe uh, going through a tough time? What encouragement would you give them? Keep going. Uh, it is absolutely worth it. And one of the great soul stretching exercises in life is going through this type of education and this journey, because not only are you learning concepts and theories and models, but you're also learning a little bit about you you're learning how to stretch that soul and increase your capacity. And at the end of the day, that's what the world needs is individuals with large capacities, large abilities mixed with understanding and the ability to go out and solve really hard problems. And so when it's tough and it's difficult and the days never end and the, and the tests and the, and the, the papers, you know, keep coming in the case studies, remember what it's, what you're, what you're working for. And, um, and so I think you just keep going and, uh, you know, is education needed to go out and start and run a successful business? No, but does it help enlarge the soul? Does it help allow for again, capacities and capabilities to be stretched and grown? Absolutely. And my personal feeling is you'll never regret it. Thank you for listening to the Latter-day Saint MBA podcast. Check out the show notes for more information about our guest and visit latterdaysaintmba.com to find details about the Latter-day Saint MBA Society.